This program is brought to you by Brining Institute, which has provided higher education, training, testing, and certification for addiction professionals since 1986. Standard three interpersonal interprofessional relationships. Certified counselors shall maintain positive and supportive relationships with program participants, residents, staff members, and other agencies that he or she may be directly involved with. What about, oh, and I was telling uh, some folks at the break, you guys, this first little segment's just getting through the black and white stuff, and then after that we'll open it, we'll have a real conversation about some of the real high points and the ones that are most often addressed. This one is, is, it's really difficult, and I'll tell you why, because most people don't think about other, others significant to the client's life. A lot of people don't think about family, right? If I'm not directly involved with a client, it's okay. That's not necessarily the truth. The truth of the matter is that it's about the client, their family, and anybody significant to the client's life. And that's a tough place to go because 80% of the population that we work with today is in one way or another court driven. So that puts up the point. You know, how do we deal with probation officers, parole officers, that sort of thing, and what, what do we need to do in order to be able to do that? And everybody knows about releases of information. The sad part about that release of information is that it could change, right? Somebody may say to you, I don't want, it. I don't want them to know anything. And a week later, they're going to say, why didn't you tell them? So the, the obvious thing to do is to get that release of information and continue to bring it up in one-on-one -on -one sessions. Are you still OK with me talking with your probation officer? It's a real simple thing to do, but we, a lot of people miss doing that, and it creates a lot of problems. So keep that in mind that it's not just the client. It's the client's family and anyone else that's significant to their life. Okay? In, in adolescent treatment, you're going to see that very difficult because a lot of teachers play a major role in that client's life. Now, how do I get that point across? And you really need to make sure that those releases of information are done, right? And I don't know about the programs that you're working with now, but those old uh, releases of information that are checked the box because they got a bunch of agencies on it, if you're going to use those, make sure you initial those boxes as opposed to just putting a check in it and signing it at the bottom. Because that will change from week to week to week with the client. The, more, the better they feel, the more apt they are to discuss things with a bigger circle of folks. Okay. And if you don't keep your mind set on that, it's going to be difficult because it's going to create problems down the road. Okay? <clears throat> Certified counselor will not become involved financially, romantically, or sexually with a program participant, resident, their family members, or other persons who are significant to them for at least one year after the last professional contact. We talked and touched on this a little bit earlier. The, the discretion between, between certifying bodies and the state. Anytime you see time frames, okay? Anytime you see time frames, adhere to that time frame. 
Certified counselor will not engage in social or business relationships for personal gain with program participants, residents, their family members, or other persons who are significant to them for at least one year after last professional contact. Small rural communities, right? Client's dad owns a grocery store. What do you do? <laughs> That'd be the best thing to do, right? How does that happen? What was her answer? You've got to be a kid. Have your wife buy the groceries. Have her wife have your wife go to the grocery store. How long is the client going to be in treatment? Thirty days, sixty days, ninety days? How does that work? It says significant to their life. Remember earlier when I said how many of us have never bumped up against this kind of stuff? It puts you in a... <laughs> a certified counselor will not commit any act of violence, threat of violence, real or implied, harassment or abuse, either verbally, physically, sexually, or threatened in any way a program participant, resident, family member, or persons who are significant to them or their staff. Anybody not done this? <laughs> Certified counselor respects organizational policies and procedures, rights of other staff members in cooperation with management, both on the job and in associations with other agencies. When are we not on the job? When are we not on the job? After hours. Huh? After hours? After hours? You're always on the job. Your code of conduct suggests that you act like a decent human being 24 hours a day. And if you act like a decent human being 24 hours a day, chances are you're not going to bump into these types of things. I always tell students and, and folks that I work with, but I, I live by two things, right? I'm, I'm sober now about 17 years. And I live by two things, no harm, and to be fair and reasonable at every turn. When people say no harm, we'll get into this in a little bit, but when people talk about doing no harm, the first thing that comes to our minds is not knocking them out. <laughs> right? I know that's unfortunate, but that's the way our wheels turn, at least from many folks that I spoke with. You may be an individual that that doesn't happen for you, but if you're in the field long enough, it's gonna. You know what I mean? There's, it, there's no getting around it. When you're talking about doing no harm, that's no harm, period. So if you continue to work with a client that you aren't getting anywhere with, and it's at no fault to anybody, it's still creating harm, and it's time to move that client to another counselor because they're not getting their services. They may be getting the tongue-in-cheek, but they're not getting the impact of what the therapy's all about. So that's doing harm. They're not getting what they suggested they come there for. All right? And being fair and reasonable at every turn, you guys, will probably fix every problem or most of the problems that you'll ever bump into with a code of conduct. Fair and reasonable is huge. Fair and reasonable is huge. Because that talks about your anger. If you have those issues, it talks about all kinds of things. I always want to try to provoke people to think about stuff, not necessarily the black and white. 
Because it's the underlying things that are going to keep us solid. It's that one step further or taking the extra. That's where all this stuff comes into play. And if you think about doing no harm on a regular consistent basis, you will probably adopt that as a lifestyle and you'll be safe. Being fair and reasonable is something a lot of us have never done because of our background, our past behavior, you know. Now it's incumbent on me, and I, we talked about this right before the break with somebody. There's a paradigm shift in thinking that has to occur for all of us or we're never going to get past a lot of this. And a parent, everybody know what that means? Paradigm shift in thinking? That's exactly opposite for positive outcomes than I thought before. You know, and that's, in, that's really the essence of a counselor is to be able to be open-minded enough to understand all of this stuff that's written and to be able to read between the lines. Because it's the gray area that kills most of us. So if you think about no harm and being fair and reasonable, a lot of this stuff will never come into play. Unless you just have an absolute crazy client and it doesn't matter who they're working with, the issues will, you know, continue. That's when you refer, this isn't working, okay? Certified counselor, shall. Certified counselor shall adhere strictly to establish rules of confidentiality and HIPAA of all records, materials, and knowledge of concerning persons served in accordance with all current government and program regulations and make every effort to avoid any and all invasions of privacy. Tough thing. Small community. 12-step meeting. How many people do you know that walk out of a 12-step meeting that don't say anything about what went on in the meeting before they get to their car? <laughs> before they get to their car, right? You have to really think about this because this one is all about modeling behavior. What does your behavior look like from a personal perspective? Can you do that? We can all do material, you know, material things or technical things, which is paperwork and that stuff, but it's very difficult to keep yourself in check This one comes into play with significant others. This one comes into play with people significant to their life. So there's a lot of stuff going on there and we'll, get, we'll talk more about it. Certified counselor will regularly evaluate his or her skills, strengths, and limitations, striving always for self-improvement, personal growth, and increased knowledge through further education and training. You're doing that now. Why is it so difficult when it comes renewal time, right? It's an ongoing process and it should start every day when you wake up in the morning. You should be striving for a higher set of standards for yourself or, a, or more knowledge, maintaining and getting and all those things. And when you think about this one, I can't tell you guys how many phone calls we get a week before renewals do. <laughs> Can you tell me where the trainings are? Yeah. Right? Because I only get 30 units in a week. 
Yeah, and you can only accept 10 online, so you're in trouble, yeah. right? Well, it's something that we all need to think about on a regular basis because they, it really isn't that tough to get done, but it always seems like there's something in the way. If you need to be certified to continue to work in this field or for the program that you're working for, why don't you start this in January instead of the last week in June? You know, depending, and the certification here for brining, they, theirs is dated. In other words, it's a year out from, or two years out from your date. A lot of the other organizations are on the last day of July is the end of the year for that, and then it starts over again. So you really need to pay attention to that. And it's not difficult to get 30 or 40 CEUs, particularly over two years. It's really sad to me because a lot of our, the people that are certified with the CAS organization, or CAR, we have two conferences a year, and you end up, you can get 45 CEUs in the, between the two conferences, yet they call the last week in June saying, what am I gonna do? So it's really important to, to stay atop, abreast of all this stuff. <coughs> Certified counselors shall stay abreast of all current governmental regulations, certification and or accreditation standards that apply to his or her employment position at the, any agency or institution. Things change all the time, you guys. We're in the middle of writing a new bill, right? And that new bill is really gonna impact our, our industry. Hours of education are going up, all kinds of things are changing. And if I'm not up on that, how am I gonna continue to do the things I need to do? So you need to try to investigate some of that stuff either through the agency that you're certified with or ADP's website. So you need It's really, it's something that we need to keep in mind. A certified, okay, uh, let's see. Self-evaluation. Certified counselors shall not perceive themselves as one's authority and will not attempt to counsel or advise anyone beyond the training or experience as a certified counselor. We're not a bunch of old sponsors getting paid. We're not a bunch of old sponsors getting paid. Okay? So your belief system around that circumstance or arena needs to change because if it is, because one of the things we aren't is an authority. We're put in that position. There's nothing we can do about it from their point of view but we don't have to use that to benefit us, right? Okay? Certified counselors shall never use their position in a coercive manner to meet their own needs and will not promote dependence on themselves by program participants, residents, family members, but help individuals mature in the recovery process. How many of you have never thought you are in an authoritative position with a client. <clears throat> I'm your counselor. Yes. <laughs> you really need to do, right? That's absolutely against what we're talking about. And it's hard to do because we're put in that position. What do you do about it? How do you fix it? We'll talk about that too. Certified counselors on every, oh, okay. Then they talk about being the community stuff, which I think is real important because if we don't 
promote our own circumstances, if we don't model behavior, if we don't uh, stand for what our industry is all about, what's going to happen? And how does that end up? Certified counselors shall inform the public and policymakers of the present dangers of alcoholism and drug addiction in their communities and promote recovery of individuals, families, and society when presented the appropriate opportunities to do so. A minute ago I talked about when are we not counselors, right? We're counselors 24 hours a day. All of this stuff is all about our behavior. It's really about the way we behave in a public set of circumstances. Are you promoting it in a positive fashion? How's that working? Now it doesn't mean stand out on the corner and scream, you know, but it does talk about how we carry ourselves. How do you, are you modeling the behavior that you're expecting of your client? How many times that happened? Right? The, one of the examples I gave earlier was the walk from the from the building to the parking lot after a 12-step meeting. You know, those are kinds of things that are necessary for us to pay attention to. <clears throat> Certified counselors should not receive any form of gratuity, whether it be financial or gifts of any kind, while participating in their regular assigned duties representing an agency or institution. Well, I want to talk about this uh, quite a bit after we get through the black and white stuff, but I want you to keep in mind something that was brought up earlier about gifts. You know, how, does, how do we do that? I mean, you can't fault the client for wanting to let you know how much you've done or how much you've helped them or whatever the case may be. Flowers and candy are, are one of the, a couple of things that happen on a regular, consistent basis, particularly in outpatient clinics. Now, how do we receive those things? Or do we receive them at all? And we'll talk about that. Certified counselors shall not be involved in any act that would be viewed as a conflict of interest between oneself and the agency or institution which he or she represents. Very difficult thing to do. What's a conflict of interest? What's that? Maybe. Anything what? Where are you going to gain something? What about a circumstance like mine? I'm a director of education for one certified for one agency. Yet I'm training here. Still the same field. Huh? Still the same field. Still in the same field? Is it appropriate or not? What about, though, when you leave an agency? How about something like that? Do you take everything with you when you leave? Like trainings you've built or things like that? No? Okay. It's just something to think about. <clears throat> Certified counselor shall cooperate with investigations and supply information requested during the complaint investigations unless such disclosure of information would violate the confidentiality requirements of CFR 42. How's everybody feel about that? <clears throat> First of all, how many of you 
and you don't have to raise your hand, but just kind of smile, have been involved in an investigation. If you haven't, are you looking forward to it? Because it's going to be real difficult. It's real hard to disclose information that's vital to the investigation. From a personal perspective, not from a legal perspective, but from a personal one. Because it feels like you're tattletale, it feels like you're cheating somebody, it feels like you're going after somebody so that the personal gain may be that you get their position. All that stuff runs through your head and it's very difficult to do, but at the same time, if you're a certified person and you have information that's directly pertaining to an incident, you have to give it up. You can do it anonymously, but you have to give it up, okay? There's an anonymous line for ADP and all of the certifying bodies keep it within their agency until the investigation's over. But it's a tough place to be. And are you willing to do that? <clears throat> okay, so what I'd like to, now that we're done with the black and white stuff, I want to really talk about how all these things are, what the implications are, how, they, how do we stand by them, how do we do all those things. And one of the things that I tell everybody is to ask questions and keep asking them until you get comfortable with what the answer is. View the situation from many different perspectives. If you have an incident that bumps up against one of these things that we just got through going through, you can't look at it with tunnel vision. Now, I'm not saying that we do or we don't, but it's very difficult not to because that's when our personal prejudice and all those things come into play. You think about a, pers or a personal, just as an example, a personal relationship or a monetary relationship between another staff member and a client. On the surface, it's very ugly. But what's the old, what, are, what are all the circumstances that led up to it? I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm asking you to think about what you really need to know before you go with what you do. And the only way that's going to ever happen is to be open-minded enough to take a look at it from all different points of view. I've had people get uh, investigated for giving a client a ride. Right? It's terrible. But was it pouring down raining? What was the circumstances? Have in-service in staff meetings to discuss decisions and ethics at least twice a year. How many of you don't have staff meetings? Or only do them twice a year? I think most programs are doing them weekly, right? Every Monday you have staff meeting, case, case management, whatever you want to call it. That needs to occur in order for these other things to be even a part of. The five types of questions, empirical. Everybody understand these types of questions? Empirical, what facts do we have? What are the potential consequences? When you ask these types of questions, you have to know what you're gonna get. You have to be, you have to be able to use what you get in an appropriate fashion. How does that work? Technical, what are the implications if and what is the big picture? How will it be perceived? How will it be perceived to whom and how will it be perceived why? Get all the information. 
When we start talking about button up against the code of conduct, we're talking about suspension, we're talking about revocation, we're talking about continuing education. You know, all those things are coming into play. If those things happen on your advice, you probably should have all of the information, right? This isn't for personal gain. What's the, uh, the legal part of it? What does the law say? And which laws pertain to it? Now, if they're talking about the law, that could be all kinds of stuff. But what I say in this one particular part is what does your code of conduct say? And do you know it well enough to call on somebody, right? Most codes of conduct, people just sign the bottom of it and have no idea what it says. They got a general idea. But when you, the last time you renewed and you signed that code of conduct, did you read the whole thing first? What if it changed? And then what if I call somebody on something that was last year's? Right? So you really need to read the darn thing before, uh, before you sign it. Professional. What does your professional codes of ethics or conduct say? And what about the program's code of ethics or conduct? There's, this is the only industry that I know of where you're caught. There's, the program usually has a code of conduct, and particularly if you're working for a county agency, they have their, most counties, you can drink at noon. Regardless of what department you live, work in. Did you all know that? Most of the counties in California allow you to consume alcoholic beverages at lunch, providing you don't come back smashed. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that gets into another conflict. What if the director or the, or the, the administrator of your program is not in 12-step, is not in sobriety? And they go out and they have a gin and tonic with their hamburger at lunch. They're not in sobriety and they're not certified. They're an administrator. And you create a whole bunch of stuff about this. And there isn't anything wrong. That's hard to swallow, but it's, the, it's a fact. What about the agency's policies? Could the agency be. agency might have policies and then... Well, if it's a county deal, it's the county's agency's umbrella. Uh, yeah? If it's a nonprofit. Well, then it's a whole different deal. You've got to go by theirs. But that's something that a lot of people don't think about. Personal, how do I handle a resolution and how will I feel? How do you handle these kinds of things? Personally, from a personal level, do you have tunnel vision and are you prejudiced about the way things happen? Or are you looking for a solution? See, it's a little different. This is the way I look at other people's behavior. What is the best possible outcome? What is the desired result? What does my professional organization think? What does my program think? What is the client going to think? What's my employee think? So when you, yeah. What do you do when a client comes to you and tells you that another certified staff member has been unprofessional and or unethical in their interactions with that client. 
fire the staff member? Is that what you said? <laughs> Document it. I think it needs to be documented first, yeah. right? And then how do you go about investigating it? Is it your, re is it your responsibility to investigate it? Document it, report up, and let, and done with it, right? Unless the client continues to come to you, that sent a red flag up for me that maybe nothing's getting done. And then what? What about anonymously uh, reporting to the state? And you have to think about it. What kind of harm is it creating? You have to what? Well, of course, yeah, of no, course. So investigation is important. Mm -hmm. Who do you leave the investigation to? If I can tell you a, one set of circumstances for me, a colleague of mine runs another program and uh, <clears throat> hasn't been doing very well. One of his staff members had a problem with relapsing, all the while continuing to work. And I know it. What am I doing? What should I be doing? And then when you report up and nothing occurs, personally, it feels like crap. Right? But what else can I do? You can always anonymously report to the state, right? As it stands right now, we're, we're supposed to report everything to the state. What are the uh, ethical expectations of a person who is registered or working toward being a certified treatment counselor? You, that's right. It's, our, it's the code of conduct for whichever agent or, uh, agency that she's, he or she is trying to be certified with. Which code of condu conduct regulates your code of conduct? I have a question. One of the things that, that I think is interesting to everybody is what are your own, how is your own personal belief system driving the way you interact with your code of conduct? <coughs> Does it impact it in any way, or can you do it black and white? How does that work? Do you allow that to, to have impact on the way you, decisions that you make? 